0: Welcome to episode 14 of the Gambots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. This week's episode, we're going to be talking about a recap of Doctor Who so far in the season. I just finished season one of the anime Psyche K. Christian saw Fantastic Beasts and Instant Family, and I will be giving you a review of Burly Men at Sea. And finally, we will end with uh, some video game news and the Amazon review, review game. So Dr. Who is a little bit more than two-thirds of the way done with his season, and we want to do a, do a little bit of a recap with Christian. So far, what have you thought of this
1: season? It has been a tremendously good season. I know a lot of people were on the fence about there being a woman doctor. I was not necessarily one of them. I was interested to see how it was going to work. Jodie Whittaker has done such an extraordinary job. You kind of forget that it wasn't always this way. Uh, So do you think she's doing a better job than Peter Capaldi? Not necessarily. I think Capaldi was a force of nature in that role. I think he suffered a lot from just kind of poor writing. He didn't have a lot of very good or fun episodes, but he brought uh, like a a strength to the role that she doesn't, but she's still outstanding. I'm, I'm really impressed with how she's doing so far.
0: So you think the season so far has been a more fun season than the the past couple seasons have been?
1: Almost all of them, to be honest. This this season has been really something special. I know in most of the past seasons, especially the most recent few, on a rewatch, I would definitely skip like one or two or even sometimes more episodes because they just weren't really super exciting or fun. But this season, man, so far it's... I've seen six of the seven episodes, the seventh one just premiered last night, and so far, all six of them have just been fantastic that's good i'm I'm glad that they're hitting the stride with this with a woman doctor, because I
0: think this show- the show would have faced a lot of backlash if there was a lackluster season.
1: yeah, agreed. So far, what has been your favorite episode of the season so probably the my favorite is probably the one that I saw last, just episode six. It's called Demons in the Punjabi, where they jump back in time and they end up landing on the border of India and Pakistan during the Indian Partition, which is a, a bunch of history that I was largely unfamiliar with. So it was interesting to see that story get told and to to learn a little bit of what went down there. And it was also just a really well-made episode. Chris Chibnall is the head writer now. And as I've said before, he was the head writer for Broadchurch, which is a, a show I hold in very high esteem. And he brings a, a touch to the show of a kind of personal, a more personal narrative than just strictly sci fi and monster of the week kind of stuff. And this one, as well as episode three, which is called Rosa, that was about the Rosa Parks story, they really dive into just kind of personal relationships and how people interact with each other in times of crisis and things like that, which is something that he did a lot on Broadchurch.
0: So uh, I haven't watched Doctor Who very much since Matt Smith. Do the episodes still have supernatural elements too, with aliens and whatnot? Is and are those things at play, or is this more of a them actually
1: visiting the human side of people doing things? Uh, it's a pretty even mix. Like episode five was about a tiny little goblin-like monster that crashed into a spaceship, and then it eats metal so it just started eating the spaceship and they had to try and figure out how to deal with that episode two they went to another planet and they were involved in like a kind of like an amazing race situation except the people were dying left and right so there was like they they joined a team to try and make it to the other side of this planet first so there are definitely still like major sci-fi elements there are definitely still major sci-fi episodes but the when they go to the when they go to the time travel aspect and, and explore like Earth's past, it's a lot more personal and emotional than it was in seasons past, which I think is, is a great touch. I'm really enjoying it so far. That's good to hear that they
0: still have the sci-fi elements. I've always been torn because I think the shows, at least the past seasons, they're a little bit weaker when they did. Uh, when they visited the past, than when they did more of the sci-fi stuff, and I'm glad that they worked on, I guess, humanizing those events, but also that just might be my personal preference on that as
1: well. So, no, you're you're right because there have always, I mean, it's not a Doctor Who episode unless there's some sci-fi. So, like in the Rosa Parks episode, there's another time traveler who's trying to prevent the like the revolution that started with her not giving up her seat, and so they have to try and deal with him. And then in this Demons of the Punjabi episode, there's a race of aliens who are supposedly assassins who are kind of stalking around the area. So they're trying to figure that out. But ultimately, the the stories boil down to more human events, which is a lot of fun for me. And yeah, like you said, some of the, some of the Earth's history episodes weren't as solid in the past. Like, I, I was always a big fan of the Shakespeare episode and the Charles Dickens episode. But there have also been some that have really just kind of been, eh, you know, not not great. Just kind of fine. But I'm really happy that they're they're stepping these ones up. So are they introducing new alien
0: races or do we also see the return of like the Daleks or the Weeping Angels or anything like
1: that? There have been no repeats yet this season, which is super exciting. Yeah, because it seems like they always fell back. You know, I guess it's different
0: if you're watching these certain episodes over a year whereas if you binge it, it's like oh, another Dalek episode. So that's cool that they're branching out from those.
1: Yeah, that was always a major complaint. Was it was it they, they always made a point to say like, oh, the Daleks are extinct and the Cybermen have all been dealt with and then at the end of the season they're like, oh, guess who's back again. So I, <laughs> I hope they don't fall back on that again in, in the finale like they've done in years past, but so far everything's been new. No Daleks, no Cybermen, no Weeping Angels. I loved the Weeping Angels when they first came on and I like it it drove me crazy that they somehow managed to take an idea that cool and play it out. Yeah,
0: I mean Weeping Angels was one of the first episodes I had saw when I first started watching Doctor Who and it was they were like so creepy, like it was so well done. And the other I don't know if they've actually made a reappearance or not, but it was the aliens that you forget about as soon as you look away oh yeah i really like them too but i don't know if they've actually ever made a reappearance
1: they were in season seven i think that was the last that you've seen them Uh, i gotta i because i don't pay attention to this too much how have you been watching this uh i buy it episode by episode on the play store as it comes out so it's either it either it airs on bbc or you can buy it on
0: the play channel i don't because i don't think it's streaming anywhere is it
1: no, it used to be on Netflix a while back, and then it all disappeared. But I don't think anybody else actually picked it up. I could be wrong. I've it. It might be on Amazon Prime now that I'm thinking about it. I think but the yeah. old episodes of Doctor Who are on Amazon Prime, but I don't think they get the new episodes. Okay, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, I know. Last season, I was I just pre bought the entire series or the entire season rather. And they just kind of appeared in my queue as they came out. Then this this year, I'm just buying them episode by episode. You said there's about, there's
0: 10 episodes in a season. So there's three more left to premiere. Anyone who's listening, if you want to check them out, what days do they air on Christian? Sunday nights. So this week I finished season one of The Disastrous Life of Psyche K. Now Psyche K is a, anime is based on a ga- gag manga. And it stars Psyche Kuso, who has an abundance of overpowered psychic abilities, but his entire goal is to be nondescript because he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. He's a high school kid, and because it's based on a gag manga, it essentially just lampoons a bunch of anime and manga tropes, and it's hilarious for it. There's actually 120 episodes in season one, but they're all only five minutes long, and that translates to being about 20, a 24 episode season. Uh, and I think the five minute format works really well. There's a couple where it's, you know, part one, part two, part three if the story's a little longer, but otherwise, I think five minutes is the perfect thing for this. It's kind of like a YouTube video. You get a couple jokes in, and then you reset. Why, like I said, why I think this is so funny is that it lampoons so many tropes in anime, which. Actually, has been one of my biggest complaints of anime as I've grown older is they, they don't really change much. Like, they see what works and people just go with it. So you see a lot of the same things over and over again. So to make fun of it, they actually do it by having Psyche's classmates represent some sort of tropes from other animes. So, for example, there's a kid named Kaido in his class who is essentially like a, a shonen protagonist who's overconfident and always talks about a secret organization that he's fighting that no one else knows about. But really, he's lying and he's just trying to make friends and look cool. So it's like, you know, oh, these, this kid's kind of a dweeb. Uh, there's, a, there's a character named Teruhashi who's this perfect girl who has like a fan club that you see in a lot of other animes where a group of characters get obsessed with one girl but then you actually see her inner monologue and the way she's like that is because she's so arrogant. She thinks she's perfect and she likes uh, the main character so much because he won't react to her at all. So her, her entire arc is just trying to get her, him to react to her how everyone else does. There's another character named Hiro who is essentially the epitome of over competitive sports manga where he's really passionate about everything, even though it doesn't make sense for it. The episode he's introduced, he gets really into a dodgeball game, and so they just—he's the foil for that. And then there's uh, Tarisku, which is a medium, but he's also very lecherous. Uh, and then also Kuboyasu, who's um, like a gangster type, and so he brings in the idea of the manga where it's a delinquent trying to turn their life around. And you know, a lot of the jokes in these episodes go around the extremes that these characters generally represent in other meat and other anime or manga, and just you know, pointing out how ridiculous it can be. Uh, my favorite was actually his, the main character's grandfather's Asundari, where he's like very outwardly mean and stuff, but inside he's in love with the main character because it's his grandson and it's funny because usually it's a trait that's reserved to young girls where they don't want to admit they like the main character but in this instance it's his grandpa so it kind of makes more sense why he would be gruff but then want his grandson to love him and it's a funny like dichotomy when he's acting much nicer and stuff like that he's acting more like a girl normally would Uh, and so they do a really good job of every episode just incorporating gags and comedy uh, they use his powers to explain a lot of stuff that don't make sense in anime for example, everyone has weird color hair because it's a side effect of his powers people who get hurt really badly in an anime and then come back like it's nothing is explaining this where he felt bad so he started healing people but so it wasn't weird now everyone gets healed quickly or um, in anime where people's clothes fall off there's always like stuff over people's private parts and he says he does that because you know he doesn't want that. To actually be seen so it's funny how they justify a lot of this stuff with his powers and it comes you know for comedic effect and o- overall it's a it's really good i would actually suggest this as a maybe a segue to people who don't like anime because it makes fun of a lot of the things i think people who aren't into anime dislike about anime like the things that don't make sense or the over enthusiasm of everything uh, the art style in it is pretty simplistic and it has gotten some flack for it, but I actually enjoy it. I'm not a fan of the newer animes that incorporate a lot of CG and stuff. I, I don't think it looks great personally. So I'm glad that they went for a more sim- simplistic, traditional looking feel, even though it's still obviously not pen and paper, but they have more muted colors and, and I think it works in this instance.
1: Yeah, I like when you can work some minimalistic styling into different things. I've always been a big fan of that.
0: So this reminds me, which I don't, you, you may have read this. It's actually probably my favorite manga of all time. I haven't watched anime, but it reminds me a lot of Gintama with its comedy and stuff like that. So I watched this with dubs. I'm not a huge subtitle fan personally for anime and Netflix has picked up a season two of it, but it's only subtitled. So I don't know if I'm going to end up watching it, but I would definitely suggest you check this out, especially if you like uh, humorous animes.
1: The format reminds me of uh, Red vs. Blue, if you ever watched that. It was an old YouTube show, and that's how it was. It was like five-minute episodes, if that, and then Netflix strung them all together. And so they call it season one, but the whole season's only about 35 minutes long. Is Red vs. Blue the Halo series? Okay, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I might check this out then, because I was always a really big fan of Red vs. Blue.
0: Yeah, so it, I I haven't looked on Netflix for season one, but if they have the, I mean, maybe you like, you don't mind subtitles, but they do have season one on Netflix. I actually watched this on Funimation, though, but it is on Netflix. Cool. So this weekend, you saw Fantastic Beast, The Crimes of Grindelwald. What
1: did you think about it? I really liked it. It's getting a lot of hate online, which I don't really understand, but it was really, really good. I thought it was better than the first one, for sure.
0: Really? Because the first one was a surprise for me. I thought I was going to hate it, and it actually might be one of my top Harry Potter
1: movies. Oh, so you think this one? Yeah, for sure. I also agree. I was, I was shaky on the first one going into it. I wasn't sure what I was going to think, and then I, I walked out having really enjoyed it. This one was, yeah, it was better. It's a lot darker than the first one was. It focuses mostly on Grindelwald's rise to power in Europe. There's a lot of darker themes in it than was in the first one, which follows along with the original Harry Potter storyline pretty well. When the first books and movies were very light, they were like intense towards the end for like the climactic battle, but the first several movies were much more like kids' movies. And then as the story progressed, you started getting darker and darker until the very end when it was just really intense and i think that's how this series is gonna go as well so i'm i'm curious because this is my
0: biggest hold up my love for johnny depp has waned as years have gone on how
1: was he he's uh he's fine i yeah this movie is worse for his presence i i think a lot of other people could have done just as good a job as grindelwald if not better i don't know why they insisted on casting johnny depp who really brings nothing to the table but he was yeah yeah you know he was fine for what he was yeah i i especially because they've
0: had he's Johnny Depp's had some issues i guess with allegations of abuse and stuff too it's just weird i guess that he's still such a prominent actor even though from what i've read a lot of people don't like him in the movie
1: yeah he's he's a weird dude like you said, he's had some trouble in the press in the past several years and people were asking for him to be removed from this project and they kind of doubled down and said, no, he's, he's our guy and I didn't really understand that. He had a, like a one-minute cameo in the first movie. It would have been super easy just to say, oh, you know, <laughs> we're not that invested, but they, they went for it anyway and that's a shame.
0: So how, how was uh, the, the new characters cast? Who, who did they cast and how did they
1: perform? Well, most of the old cast is back. The, the four main characters all make a, a return. And then Zoe Kravitz is new to this one. She plays Lita Lestrange, who is, it's mentioned briefly in the first movie, is like Newt Commander's school sweetheart. And then most famously then, Jude Law comes in as Dumbledore, and he does a really, really good job. He's a convincing younger Dumbledore. I was very happy with his performance and then Callum Turner is Theseus Commander Newt's brother. I hadn't really heard of him. I don't know what else he's been in, if anything but he he was pretty good in this he was he He walks the line between uh being like an annoying older brother and being a like a caring older brother and kind of looking out for his his younger sibling and he does a good job. Uh, I'm glad to hear julah uh, does a good job. I was really curious if he would do would be a good Dumbledore and I was
0: leaning towards no, so I'm glad to hear that maybe he wasn't he's not too bad uh
1: he's He's not in it very much. he's in a few flashbacks and uh he he has a, a just a small supporting role kind of throughout the movie. He pushes and prods the story along as it needs to go, but the focus is really on the the four main characters and Johnny Depp.
0: So the first one took place mostly in New York. Does this one take place around
1: a city, or is it? Uh, does do they jump around? There's a little jumping around. It it opens in New York and then it pivots to London, but the majority of the movie is set in Paris.
0: So you said this is about Grindelwald's rise to power, and I know that in the books they alluded that essentially he was very close to like world war 2 and hitler's rise to power is there is that alluded to in this movie is it obvious or am i am i wrong on that
1: it's yeah there's a lot of interesting parallels that can be drawn it it is definitely along those same kind of lines you you see him like calling rallies and using persuasive but definitely problematic language but he never really comes out and says terrible things until like people are already all wrapped up in the movement so there's definitely like a, a cult mentality kind of thing going on it was it was well made so how, how, how has this fared in the box office it's doing really well it made 62 million this week now the budget was 200 million but i mean you figure they're already well on their way to that i don't know how quickly they'll make that back especially with there's a, a bunch of movies coming out this week i know we're getting I think, three new films this week, and that's just us. But going into the holidays, I could see this sticking around for long enough that they would definitely make their budget back. Ever
0: since I've grown up, I've there's tended to be some form of, like, fantasy movie around Christmas, and I always love seeing them around then. Like, we had The Lord of the Rings first, which were awesome, and then you had The Harry Potters. I think some of them were released around Christmas, but then you had The Hobbit, which I know a lot of people didn't like, but still, I thought it was fun to go see in theaters just because there's such big... Fantasy battles, and now we're getting Fantastic Beasts again. I wish more fantasy movies would come out around the holidays.
1: Yeah, they're definitely fun for sure.
0: This week, you also saw Instant
1: Family. Uh, What is that about? That was a surprise for me. So, it is a kind of family drama comedy. It's Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne are married, and they decide kind of on a whim to adopt a child and then they end up adopting three because they're siblings and then it's just kind of about their life from there. Is it like a drama? Is it a comedy? Yeah. How would you describe it? It's, it's a mix so it definitely starts very comedy heavy. They introduce uh, Octavia Spencer and Tegan Notaro as the adoption agents and they have like a play off each other where one of them's uh, like intense but goofy and the other one is kind of deadpan and a lot more serious and very dry and they play off each other really well they ended up being probably the the two like comedy powerhouses in the movie and once the adoption goes through and it starts getting into like the day-to-day life it the, the comedy aspects fall away there's definitely still some some comedy to it but it takes on a much more dramatic role and at the end it just gets a little strange they try to bring the comedy back, and it kind of works. Joan Cusack shows up out of nowhere with like 15 minutes left in the movie, and they kind of just act like she's been there the whole time, and it's it's real strange.
0: So, how was Mark Wahlberg in this? I've uh, kind of like Johnny Depp. I've really fallen off Mark Wahlberg as the
1: as the years have gone on,
0: and I I'm kind of tired of him.
1: Yeah, I go back and forth. He's definitely like. I don't know he's like a problematic guy (laughs) he's he's definitely had his run of like not great publicity and but he keeps making these terrible transformers movies and those are bad but not really because of him and i really liked him in the other guys with will ferrell i really like him in both of the daddy's home movies also with will ferrell and he was really good in this it was it was fun
0: my biggest problem with Wahlberg is, I guess, some of the movies that he chooses to do. Yeah. Like, he did the like the oil spill movie, which, I don't know, I didn't particularly, I wasn't a fan of him in that, but I really liked him in the 2007 movie Shooter, like, I thought he was great in that. I feel like he exploits tragedy, and Joe's movies may seem like they didn't need to be made, and it's always his name's attached to those projects. Oh,
1: yeah, 100%, I'm I'm with you on that. He keeps bouncing back and forth between these light comedies and American Patriot a thousand where he's doing, like you said, the oil spill movie, Deepwater Horizon. He did Patriots day about the Boston marathon bombing. He did lone survivor about those guys that were lost in the war. And he definitely is one that's going to jump on like the, the tragedy train. I I've never really understood that reasoning.
0: Was he the best actor in this or do you think someone else uh, outshone him?
1: Rose Byrne was, was good as always. His mother is played by character actress Margot Martindale, who I know best at this point uh, from BoJack Horseman, where she plays uh, like a lunatic version of herself. But the, the star that really shone brightest for me was the eldest of the siblings that they adopted. Now, her name is Isabel Moner, and she was actually in Transformers 4 with him. And I remember watching the previews thinking that she was going to be a cool character and that like this was going to be a fun like partner up movie where it was going to be Mark Wahlberg befriends this girl and they go fight the Transformers together. And it turned out she was only in that movie for like 10 minutes and she was still the best character.
0: This was directed by... Sean Anders, who also looked like he did both "Daddy's Home" and "Daddy's Home Too," so it's kind of funny that he's making like trill, uh, you know, multiple family comedies with Mark Wahlberg.
1: Yeah, I mean, whatever formula they stumbled on, it's it's working because I I really like all these movies. I would definitely recommend this one for sure, though.
0: So this past week, I played the game "Burly Men at Sea." Now, this is a game by Brain and Brain, and it is actually free on PlayStation Plus this November for the Vita with a cross-buy on the PlayStation 4. Early Minute C is a pretty short adventure game you essentially use the right and left shoulder buttons to move your characters. You don't really move the characters. You move the screen and they walk and then you can use one of the joysticks to uh, click where you want them to interact with. But it's a, it's a really short game and only took me two to three hours of the platinum. And it only takes about 30 minutes to beat the game. You just have to replay it about 12 times because there's 12 different endings. So what happens is you're these three uh, Nordic sailors and you want to go on an adventure and while they're sailing their ship gets eaten by a whale and so when you're in the whale you can choose to do one of three things and then depending on what you choose you can then choose something else and then something else so each path has a total of four endings so that's how you get the 12 total endings so you beat the game and then you end up at your island you essentially just do that 12 times in a row the movement and it's pretty slow the art style, I think, is really cool, though. It's kind of like paper cutouts. The, it, it, the movement's well. It's just everything moves really slow. I thought the story was pretty humorous. My favorite character by far in this was there's a living mountain <laughs> that is trying to help them out. And he's like, I'm going to get you guys a flower. And it's just a giant dead tree. And there's some option where he ends up throwing the tree in them. Like, he's like a, a, a mountain that's like kind of simple but means really well. I thought that was pretty humorous. One of the stories is you can uh, race death for your, for your souls. And so, you know, it's entertaining, but I don't know if I could really recommend the game. If it's free, I say definitely check it out. It's a very easy Platinum. Uh, the game normally retails for $9.99 though. And I just, I can't recommend it at that price. There's just not enough there. It's really cool. I would actually say it's more a piece of art than it is ga- a game just because there's so little to do in it you know if i had to rate this i would say like maybe a c minus level of a game maybe a d plus just because there's not very much gameplay fortunately you know to run through it once is really quick it's like like i said maybe two to three hours of platinum it but if you just want if you can get for free with playstation plus you just want to see what it's about you know it's easy to pick up you'll be you can pretty much see what it has to offer with one or two playthroughs and you know that you're out 40 minutes to an hour
1: on that. Yeah. 10 bucks is a little steep for a game that you can see everything in four hours. Oh, definitely, man. Like for for 10, like this, in my, you know,
0: I didn't make the game. So I, it's easy for me to say what I think it should be priced, but I think a fair price for this, if you're paying for it would be like three bucks, maybe somewhere around three to five, def- definitely not 10 I mean, you can get Dead Cells, I think, for like 15 right now. Like, there's so many good games, comparably priced. Like, if you go to GameStop, I think Uncharted 4 right now used is $10 or less. And I think that's probably going to be a more bang for your buck on a game. So in video game news, the Spyro Reignited Trilogy was released this week. Now, I I don't know if you see much about this, Christian, but the Reignited Trilogy is essentially the first three games from the Spyro series, except they're remade from the ground up. So it's completely new graphics. Uh, All the dragons used to get in the first game, there's actually, they created uh, 80 different models, so each dragon is very personalized. They have the original composer remaster the soundtrack, but you still have the option to put it on the old soundtrack, which is a nice little touch. And I if I'm not wrong on this I learned the original composer is actually a member of the police or he was a member of the police (laughs) uh the band not the police force so that was cool they actually used some of the game's old coding so it actually feels like people say they remember it feeling but it's just updated so uh, a lot of explanations I've heard about it are people saying oh this is what I remember it playing like whereas if you go back and play it obviously it's Way more polygonal and probably not nearly as good as it is now. But overall, I have played about I, I'm about seventy percent through the first game, and it is fun. It actually wasn't redone by Insomniac; it was redone by Toys for Bob, who are doing the Toys to Life games, and I, I think they were doing Skylanders, but I can't remember which one they are handling. So they had some work with Spyro before because he was introduced as a character. Uh, so it's interesting to see that while Insomniac's not working on it, and if you don't know, Insomniac went on to do the Ratchet and Clank series and now Spider-Man, it's really cool. I can see a lot of where their concepts for Ratchet and Clank came from, from Spyro. So it's it's cool getting a retrospective on that.
1: Yeah, I have been watching this with bated breath it's literally the only reason I'm getting a PS4 before Kingdom Hearts Three comes out.
0: Oh, really? You want to? You're, you're thinking about grabbing one now just for this?
1: Yeah. Well, I I was looking at waiting maybe till the beginning of the year, but when I saw the uh, the Black Friday deal that you were talking about last week, I'm probably gonna jump on that. I
0: I never actually played the first Spyros, and I remember at the time when I played them, I wasn't as into them. These are really fun. It's like simple. But I'm having a blast exploring every level. Like, these are how collectathons should be. There's not too much stuff every level. You have a dragon, maybe a dragon egg, and then you have gems to find. When I'm playing this, I'm sitting here thinking of Ukulele, which is the other collectathon I've played this year that was really disappointing. Like, this is a hundred times more fun than Ukulele was. There's not too much crammed into a level. There's a bunch of little smaller levels to explore that are fun to explore, and then you move on. You're, you don't hate what you're doing when you're playing this game, uh, with, the, with the exception of the flight levels, which have oh. not been fun in the
1: first game. Listen, but, you know. the, the flight levels were always garbage. Like, they were the ones that I dreaded trying to get all the gems for back in the day. Like, I, I must have played the first Spyro and the third one, like, three or four times a piece. I played the second one a bunch, too, but those were my two favorites. And the, the flying levels were always the worst.
0: Yeah, that's the only one where I'm like I kind of see what you're going for here trying to vary it up, but it does not fit with the rest of the game. They're doable, you know, I've I got 4 or 5 done so far, but they are the weakest part of the game, but still they are way better than some of the more tedious parts of ukulele.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited for for this remaster. I'm probably going to pick up the Crash Bandicoot remaster as well cuz between these two series, they made up a tremendous part of like my Probably my preteen years would be my guess on on the dates on those, but I loved the first three crashes and the first three spirals. I was so happy that they got uh, re-releases. I'm glad
0: they did too. It's nice seeing the old PlayStation games, which PlayStation One games haven't aged very well because everything was so blocky on them. Like I think PlayStation Two games have generally aged pretty well. Uh, with a few exceptions. Like I like Kingdom Hearts still, but I don't think the controls on it have aged well. But I think the graphics are fine. Yeah. And same with Devil May Cry and like the RPGs and
1: stuff. But if you like look at Final Fantasy Seven, it is not a good looking game anymore. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad you can go back and use the old music because it wasn't necessarily like good, but like just standing here talking about it now, like I can I can like whistle it and hum it in my head. It's it's still ingrained in my brain
0: yeah i think that's a cool thing to add to games especially remakes like people like that nostalgia and it seems like it's an easy thing to implement you know it's just like choose your soundtrack to retro or remastered
1: and that's something in kingdom hearts that caught me off guard because i've i've been going back through and i hadn't played any of like well like i said i'm doing it in chronological order so birth by sleep just came out a few years ago there wasn't need for really like a remastering of anything all they had to do was port it over to the ps3 but i when i started kingdom hearts one which has been 14 or 15 years since kingdom hearts one came out they they changed the music and some of the color scheme for the the release yeah and so it's it's another one of those like the the music of kingdom hearts and final fantasy i listen to all the time just on a drive or while i'm working on something i'll have it playing in the background because i i really like that music and so i've got a, a good chunk of it memorized and when it, it didn't match up with what I I was expecting, my I kinda like I twitched a little bit. It was it was odd. I wasn't expecting it.
0: Also in uh, reimaginings of original games, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee was released for the Switch recently, which are essentially reimagining of the original red and blue or really like a spiritual successor to yellow as it's been uh, described by the creator at the same time, combining it with Pokemon
1: go. Uh, have you looked at anything into this Christian? Not too, too much. I, I come in waves on Pokemon go and I'm currently in a, a down right now. Like I, I deleted the app off my phone. I'm I'm sure something new and fun will come out at some point and I'll redownload it. But no, I like, I haven't looked too, too much about the the new games. I guess quickly if you haven't the premise of Pokemon is you're
0: a young child you get a monster that's called Pokemon to go travel the world and collect HM badges by beating other Pokemon trainers when you're going through the world you go through tall grass or caves or whatever and you see more Pokemon and you catch them and you battle them That's the basic premises of Pokemon so in Pokemon let's go Pikachu and Eevee They actually take out about half of that idea, so you no longer battle other Pokemon to catch them. Uh, They incorporate the Pokemon Go mechanic of essentially just swiping to throw Pokeballs at Pokemon in the wild and you catch them instead of having to fight them down to a certain amount of health. And you only battle other trainers or gym leaders in this. It's been released to somewhat mixed results. I just want to give some background. I was huge on the first Pokemon. I caught all 151. I really liked gold and silver. I had blue version originally. I got gold. Really liked gold and silver. I played it a ton, but I never was able to catch them all. And then I fell off on Pokemon until Pokemon XY came out when I got a 2DS I played that a lot. And then Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire was when I really got back into Pokemon. I created what was called a living Pokedex. So I had one of every Pokemon. Like, you know how there's like Charmander, Charmeleon, Charizard? Like, I had one Charmander, one Charmeleon, one Charizard, one Squirrel, one Blastoise, one Wartoral. You know, like, I had one of everything. So, like, I literally had like 600 and something Pokemon <laughs> in my body. I played that game so much. This is like two or three years ago. I had, you know, I got into competitive battling. I made a YouTube channel doing theme teams. Like I really got into Pokemon. (laughs) uh, And so hearing that you don't actually do a lot of battling in it and it's just throwing the Pokeball at them, I immediately lost interest in this. And honestly, Pokemon Go came out like right around my fanaticism with Omega Ruby. I never played Pokemon Go. I never got into it. I never even downloaded it, so this game does not speak to me at all. Like, if this was just a remake in three D of the original, like Red and Blue, I would have been all over it. But seeing as it's like a combination, I, I I don't really have an interest in it.
1: Yeah, that's too bad that they mixed it up that much. It, I mean, it does basically just sound like a platform version of Pokemon Go, where with gym, where yeah, with the gym leaders thrown in, it doesn't actually sound like an old style Pokemon game.
0: Yeah. And so, like I said, a little bit mixed results here. Metacritic has it at an 81%, but it's a 51% user score. And, you know, user scores, I think when there's some backlash tend to be lower. So I don't know if they're getting bond with zeros or not. Maybe that there's a little more parity than that number shows. But well, so there's some cool features in this, which are make me kind of want to check it out. Like, you can get haircuts for your Eevee or Pikachu. You can choose to have multiple Pokemon outside the balls and follow you around. I don't think you actually have to put HM moves on guys anymore, so you don't have to waste spots, but if you're not battling as much, it doesn't really matter at that point. It's uh, the 151 original Kanto Pokemon, and then, so let's go Pikachu. It looks like that's basically red version, where you have exclusives to that and then Let's Go Eevee would be blue. Uh, one thing that I saw was actually a big step back was in X and Y and Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. And I'm going to assume Sun and Moon. I didn't play those. I had fallen off by that point. You had online trading, which was awesome because it made getting trade specific evolutions way easier. It made getting stuff you couldn't catch easier. It was essentially post like I have a Pikachu looking for whatever and, and people would trade for it. It looks like that's been removed, which I think is dumb on their part.
1: Yeah, that's odd. Because that's what I... I had basically one friend I, I played Pokemon with. Not I didn't just have one friend in general. Uh, but <laughs> me and my buddy Nick were always uh, on kind of opposing sides. I would get gold and he would get silver and I would get ruby and he would get sapphire. And that was really nice because... Well, first of all, we had like a fun rivalry, but it also made it nice and easy to get the exclusives and to get the uh, trade-only evolutions. Like, I, I remember, I think, Gengar you could only get by trading. But, it, like, if, if I hadn't had any other, like, friends that were into Pokemon, I'd have just been kind of stuck.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it sounds like. I mean, there's no breeding in this, which became a huge part of Pokemon.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't have eggs.
0: You're not really uh, – You I think you raise their, like, attack stats. So, in the other one, you had to breed Pokemon to, like, get the best IVs and you don't really sound like you do that on this one it seems like you give them candies and it does it i was expecting this to be to be way more into this than i was until i actually started looking into it i was really just hoping it was a 3d remake of the original games but i understand where they're coming from so they're they're releasing a new pokemon game i think next year and i think they're trying to transition people who've only played pokemon go which was a phenomenal like it was huge when it came out right like Everyone I knew played it. People who never played Pokemon played it. So I think they're trying to get that demographic into trying out a new game if they haven't played it before. And so I think it's a way to transition for that and especially to get younger players into it. Uh, So I'm hoping the next uh, mainline game is like an actual Pokemon game.
1: Yeah, so if they're trying to like use the same kind of system from Pokemon Go, your IVs are like stuck, but you don't level up by battling you like you said you level up by feeding them candy and the candies are all specific to that evolution group so like charmander candies will give you get you up to a charmeleon up to a charizard that kind of thing and you just kind of get that by walking around so i don't yeah i don't really know (laughs) how they're gonna make that an, an interesting platform game
0: yeah, and one other thing uh, just, I want to point out on this for anyone who's actually maybe interested in the game just to be aware of, I hate motion controls. Apparently, if you're playing this on the Switch while it's docked, you have to use motion controls to throw the Pokeball. And everything I've read of been like if you're catching Pokemon, play it on... And Tomo, because then it's just like you're swiping the screen and it's a lot easier. Yeah. But if you're interested, it's $60, which seems like a steep price tag for me. So I think I'm not going to end up trying this out.
1: Yeah, this this sounds like a skip to me as well. All right. So this week, Christian will be providing
0: the clues for the Amazon review game. And I will be guessing. I am ready whenever you are, Christian.
1: All right. Since we're nearing the holiday, I went with a holiday movie. Not a Christmas movie, though. I'll I'll give you this review first, although it's not actually part of the game. It's just another one of those that I really enjoyed. It was the very first review for this movie. I love this movie a lot. The only thing that seems to be misleading is that the cover on the picture is not the one that comes on the DVD case. (laughs) That was the four-five stars. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I like that that's an actual complaint. Like I bought this and it's messing up my DVD like collection and putting <laughs> it. I bought this
1: exclusively for the cover art. Yeah, right. <laughs> Alright. This first review then comes from Webspot. I've watched this movie countless times. It is simply one of the best holiday movies ever. The pairing of these two actors for their roles in this film was genius. A perfect blend of comedy and sadness with lessons in forgiveness, humility, and empathy. The script was great, acting superb, as would be expected, and you just can't go wrong sitting down and watching this classic with your family or friends any time of year, but especially during the holidays.
0: Is this a Christmas movie? I know you said that earlier, but I just want to verify. No. Okay. Does this take place
1: at some part in Chicago? It ends in Chicago, but it's been a a little while since I've seen it. Okay, so it ends in Chicago.
0: I think I have an idea, but I want another review. Okay.
1: I am not sentimental, but I have to watch this movie every Thanksgiving-ish. It makes me laugh and laugh, and the end is always a treat. Plotting and script is so perfect as to draw me to an emotion without making me feel cheaply used and manipulated. I love this flick. And yes, you have to own it, because to watch the edited version on TV is an insult to the script. This movie has a car rental scene with the most choice and perfect use of the F-word that anyone could ever hope to encounter. It takes the F-word and turns it into pure eloquence. Well done. Is this Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? It is. That's such a good movie.
0: (laughs) It's like one of three Thanksgiving movies I could name.
1: Yeah, I thought that was appropriate for the time of year.
0: All right, guys. Thanks for checking out our episode. Before we head out, uh, Christian, what are you checking out this week?
1: Well, we got a bunch of movies coming out this week that I'm, I'm interested in. Uh, we have Wreck-It Ralph, which I haven't seen the first one, so I might end up watching both Wreck-It Ralphs this week at some point. Uh, Creed Two is coming out, which I'm kind of looking forward to. And uh, we also have The Front Runner, which isn't actually coming to our theater, but I do really, really want to see it, so I'll end up probably driving somewhere to watch that. New Robin Hood is also coming out this week, and that looks amazing. That's, that's the number one on my list. Uh, my big one is I'm going home for the holidays, so I'm hoping
0: to see Fantastic Beasts while I'm home with my family. I was planning on trying to finish up some Spyro, but I'm not going to have my PlayStation 4 with me, so I don't know if I'm going to be playing too much before our next episode. Uh, but if I do, it'll either be Spyro or Assassin's Creed. Not much else otherwise. Um, what I'm checking out, I'm reading a book called Gun, Germs, and Steel's by Jared Diamond, which was from, like I think, 2005 and was pretty popular at the time. Great book. Yeah, so I'm working my way through that, but I don't know if that's really podcast material. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably not. So it's probably going to be a pretty slow week for me because uh, traveling uh, over the next five days pretty extensively.
1: Yeah, I'm also going out of town. I'm, I'm going up to my brother's in New York. So if, I'm, I'm going to see as many of these as I can in the next few days. Working at a movie theater has some perks that I can watch them kind of after hours when, when I have time. But yeah, we'll see how much I actually get to by Monday. All right, guys, thanks for listening. If you want to check us out,
0: we are at Gambots Network on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you.